Good morning. I invite you guys to turn with me to uh, the book of Psalms. The Psalms. So we've, uh, this is the second week in our five-week series as we're doing a, a 30,000-foot overview of the poetic books of the Bible, the, the wisdom books. We're calling it the wisdom of God because these, these are the books that, that really highlight wisdom, that highlight our world, our lives. Uh, we started last week with the book of Job. This week we're going to look at, at the book of Psalms. We're going to do the, the whole book of Psalms, all 150 chapters. All right, so starting with chapter 1. So, no. Uh, we'll do a little higher level than that, uh, but uh, we are just going to look at what is what is it that the book of Psalms is teaching us? What is it that the book of Psalms is showing us? If you don't know where Psalms is, if you uh, take your Bible and you flip it open to the middle, you'll probably be at Psalms. You might be at Proverbs, and, you're, you're, uh, and so turn one book before at Psalms and Proverbs, uh, but odds are, flip it to the middle, probably the book of Psalms. Uh, longest book in the Bible, 150 chapters. It's a collection of, of songs and prayers, uh, and we're going to, to look at this this morning, this book, this collection of songs and prayers, and, and see what is it that God is teaching us in his word this morning in, in the book of Psalms. Let me pray for us, and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for, for the beautiful book of Psalms, that it's a book of, of poetry, uh, a, a book of, of uh, life experiences, and the ups and the downs that we see, the the celebrations, and we see the pain and the agony. We see people calling out in joy and people calling out in pain. And we, we see life in the book of Psalms and that it's in here. You know, that you have provided it for us to teach us, to shape us, to comfort us, to mold us. God, I pray that this morning that would be the case, that we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us and hearts that are ready to apply it. And God, I pray that you would shape and mold us in the image of Jesus, God. Whatever we're going through, whatever we are experiencing in life today, God, I pray that we would see in the book of Psalms what you're teaching us, God, and that we would, we would be ready to apply it, and that we would allow it to change us from the inside out. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, no matter where we are or what I'm doing, there's one thought that never crosses my mind, and that's we should take a picture. I don't ever think that way. I don't care about pictures. I don't care about videos. Uh, I'm, it's always someone else saying, hey, we need to take a picture. And me saying, okay, you know, I, I'll get in a picture. But I ne it never crosses my mind that we should photograph this moment. I'm much more about living in the moment than keeping it for later, you know. Uh, so take that however you want, picture people. Um, but I, I'm not a big, a big picture person. It doesn't cross my mind. It's not something I think about other people. And you might be in this category, other people that they think about it all the time, right? Like it's in, it's in the, the back of their mind somewhere. Like no matter what they're doing, they're like, Ooh, I should take a picture. I should take a video. I need to, I need to record this. I need to, to hold on to this for later. How often do you actually go back and look at pictures and video? Anyways, so like we, but that's still in the back of your head. Like, I've got to look at, I've got to record this. I've got to take this moment. I've got to, I've got to capture it in a picture. I've got to record it in a video. How many people go to concerts and just record the concert? Like, there's, no one's going to watch your video of your concert. Nobody. Just enjoy the concert, right? But, but that's in the back of people's heads. A lot of times you're, you're going through life and, and whatever the situation, highs and lows, good and bad, whatever the moment or circumstances you find yourself in, for a lot of people, they think, all right, I've got to record this. I've got to take this moment. I've got to, I've got to save this. I've got to post this online. Just uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a karaoke night, which was awesome here. Uh, and uh, a couple from a, a couple of people from Taco Bell came over, some employees, and one of them was recording himself doing the karaoke the whole time, which is great. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad he, he's, he wants to do that. 
I never will, right? That doesn't cross my mind. But again, regardless of what the circumstances are, highs and lows, goods and bads, whatever the, the situation, for some people, it's always in their mind, I've got to record this, I've got to, I've got to save this, I've got to post this, this is, is what we think about a lot. As believers and as people, regardless of our circumstances, highs and lows, goods or bads, whatever is going on in our life, there is something else that's in the back of our mind that we always uh, act upon. And it's the, it's, the, it's the question, how do we relate to God? We always, it's always there. Your understanding of how you relate to God and, and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live and, and how you and God interact with each other, that is always there in your mind and it plays out in your life in the good moments and the bad and whatever circumstances you find yourself in. It, that, how you answer the question, how am I supposed to relate to God, plays out in your life. That is always there. If you're in your low moments and you, you call out to God and you're angry with him and you're mad at him and you're blaming him for what you're doing, you are answering in that moment how you think you relate to God. If you're in a low moment and the first thing you do is try to figure out how to get out of it yourself, how to find a shovel to, to dig yourself out of this hole, like if that's what you try to do, you're also expl- uh, proclaiming how you think you relate to God. In the good moments, in the moments of celebration, if you Go to your knees in prayer and praise God for what he's given you and, and what you experience. That testifies to what you believe about how you relate to God. In the same time, if in the good moments you look at yourself and say, look at what I've done, look at what I've accomplished, how great this is, this is a great moment, uh, that also reveals something about how you think you relate to God. Well, the book of Psalms is a wonderful book because in 150 songs and poems, prayers, We get to see human beings, people, at all stages of life. We get to see people at all different levels of emotions. We we see people in the pit of despair. People who who are really going through it, who are having a horrible time and are devastated and depressed and anxious and worried. And at the same time, we see other psalms. You can turn one psalm later and see a guy who's at the top of the mountain, right? Someone who's on cloud nine and excited and joy-filled. Someone who's having a wonderful time. Like, you get to see the whole spectrum of human emotions in the book of Psalms. At the same time, we get to see a whole wide range of people in different circumstances. We get to see someone writing and praying who is on the run for their life. And flip a psalm later, you see someone in the temple worshiping God. <laughs> and flip a psalm later, and you see a king who is reflecting on his rule and his reign. And flip a song later, and you get a worship leader. Like, like you just get different people in different situations and different circumstances all across the board. So the, the grand total is you can look at the book of Psalms, all 150 psalms, and say that, that my life, my experience, it's in here. Because we see people in the whole spectrum of emotions, in the whole spectrum of circumstances. And you can find a psalm somewhere with whatever you're going through. If you're happy, if you're sad, if you are going through uh, an amazing moment or you're going through a terrible moment, you can find a psalm in there where the psalmist seems to know exactly what you're going through because he's suffering and experiencing the exact same thing. And what a lot of times we'll do is we'll read the psalms in a, in a very me-centered or us-centered way. Or we'll open a psalm and we'll, we'll reflect on it. If we're in a low moment, we'll, we'll pick a psalm and we'll think about it. And it'll just, it'll make me feel better. It'll give me some warmth. It'll give me uh, some calming 
uh, aspects, like it, it'll make me feel a little better about myself. Or if, if I'm excited, we read a psalm and it makes us more excited. Like, like we read the psalms usually in a very me-centered or us-centered way that, that allows us to, to find comfort, allows us to find rest, allows us to just feel warm on the inside as we read these psalms. And that's totally okay. That's a, that's a fine way to read the psalms. They are there with all the emotions that music and poetry can provide. And you can find some way to uh, find some psalms that give you courage, give you peace, give you uh, encouragement as you go along. That's fine. But that's not why the psalms exist. Because the psalms are not me-centered or us-centered. The psalms are inherently God-centered. Across the board, every single one of them, 150 all are God-centered songs and prayers and poems. All of them, 100%. They aren't focused on us. They're focused on God. What we see is this dynamic relationship, this interplay between mankind with all the emotions we experience and all the circumstances we can find ourselves in and how we relate to God. And, and what we see in the Psalms and why they're so good for us is whatever we're going through, we can learn more about God and know that I'm supposed to relate to the God in a certain way in this moment and in this experience. And here's what we see, big picture in the book of Psalms. God is bigger than we think and nearer than we know. God is bigger than you think he is. And he is nearer to you than you could possibly know. And that is going to shape the way that you interact with your emotions and with your circumstances with God. There are three things that kind of play out in the Psalms from this idea that God is bigger than we think and nearer than we know. Like three ways that this plays out in our lives in the book of Psalms. The first thing that we see in the book of Psalms, the way this plays out is God is big so we can call upon him. We serve a big God so we can go before him in prayer. Turn with me to Psalm 8. We're going to jump around in the book. We're not going to spend very long in any one psalm. I'm also not, I, I limited the number of psalms that I'm going to use in quotes, so you're not flipping every 30 seconds to another psalm. But, uh, but Psalm 8 uh, is where I want us to, to start looking. Psalm 8, beginning in verse 1. So this is David writing, and, and uh, this is what he says in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. You still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Verse 9, he ends the psalm with this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So the psalmist proclaims the, the height of God, the power of God. He looks at the heavens and he looks at the earth and he says, God, you made all of this. You created this. You have set it in motion. You have brought this about. God, look at how magnificent and mighty and powerful you are. Like, that's a big God, right? A God who made the world and set everything in motion. God whose name is proclaimed by all creation. That's a big God. Psalm 19. It's a very similar idea. One of my absolute favorite psalms. Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above 
proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the, en- to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its ear, from its here, from its heat. Sorry, I can't read. <laughs> from its heat. The idea, again, is that all of the heavens, like you look out at the stars, you look at creation, it's all proclaiming the magnificence of God. It's all declaring the magnitude of God. He's the one who created it all. He's the one that spoke and brought it into being. He's the one that keeps it all together. (laughs) I want you to think about how big you think God is. How massive, how mighty, how powerful he is. And if we're not taking into account the fact that he spoke and created the world, (laughs) then we have too small a view of God. Like, we serve a massive God. It's that song, like, he has the whole world in his hands. Like, the whole universe, everything is, could fit within the palm of his hands. He is a massive, mighty, powerful God. He's spoken it all came into being. He's not dependent on anything. He doesn't need anything. He's not bound by anything. He spoke and created it all. Like, that is the mag- magnitude and magnificence of God. At Psalm 86, the last one on this this point I want to I want to turn you to. Again, this is over and over and over and over and over again. I could I could read countless psalms. Well, countable. Up to 150 psalms and and they would be about the magnitude of God. We would see it over and over and over again. Psalm 86 beginning in verse 8. This is what the psalmist says. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. This idea in Psalm 86 is he's not saying that other gods exist. He's saying that there is, like all the other gods that other people worship and and proclaim to, none of them are like you. You're different, particularly in the fact that you exist. right? But he says this, There are none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O my Lord, with, my, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. This is the psalmist proclaiming once again that there is nobody like God who is powerful, who is mighty, who is glorious. I want you to think about that idea and how it plays out in the book of Psalms. God is big, so we can call upon him. There's nothing that the the people in the Psalms, whether it's David or Solomon or Asaph, other worship leaders, uh, kings or people in poverty, whatever their circumstances, whatever they're facing, there's nothing that they won't bring before the Lord. He's big enough to handle it. If you're facing something horrible and you're in despair and your emotions are low and there's this obstacle in front of you that seems insurmountable, God is bigger than it. However big the obstacle seems, God is bigger. 
And so we can go before him in prayer. We can bring this before him. We're not going to bring God a problem and say, God, here's my problem. And God's going to look back and say, hmm. don't know how I'm going to deal with that one, you know? Like, God is infinitely bigger than anything we can face. And so whatever comes our way, whatever comes against us, we can go before him in prayer. We can bring it to him. Say, God, I, I've got this going on. I'm going to give it to you. Say, well, you don't, you don't know what I'm going through. I, I'm going through uh, this, this messy thing with my, uh, with my job, my my, I don't, I, you know, my boss doesn't like me, and it's making my, my life miserable, and I just, I just, I hate my job, I hate my work, I hate, I hate what I'm doing, I, I hate getting up every day, and, and, and going to work, like, I hate all of it. God's bigger than your boss. God is bigger than your career. God is bigger than your paycheck. God is bigger than all the things that are keeping you to a job you hate and all the things that are keeping you from leaving a job. Like God is bigger than all of those things. And so you find yourself in that situation. Go before the Lord in prayer. Bring it to him. Say, I'm dealing with the the loss of somebody that I love. I'm dealing with the loss of a family member or a friend and the grief is is hurting me and the the pains and the emotions are like a tidal wave like knocking at the door i can break out in tears at any moment like i i just don't know how to keep going i don't know how to keep living this is a painful horrible moment in my life god is bigger than those emotions that a tidal wave that's at your door god is bigger than the loss that you're experiencing god is bigger than all of it so take it to him in prayer In the good moments and in the bad, in the, the moments where you feel horrible, in the moments that you're excited, in the, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, go before the Lord in prayer because he is bigger than anything and everything that you will ever possibly face. I think about us as a body of believers. We can, we can sit here and we can make, uh, uh, we can complain and we can make excuses and say, well, we'll never, we'll never really have a big impact for the kingdom of God because we're not very big and we don't have a lot of space and we can't do this and we can't do that god is bigger than us god is bigger than anything we see as limitations for us god is big and mighty and powerful he spoke in the universe came into existence why would we not bring something before him in prayer he's bigger than anything that comes against us anything we're facing god is big so we can call upon him That's what we see over and over and over again in the book of Psalms. God, I'm in this really low moment of my life, but I'm turning, I I am bringing this to you in prayer. God, I have this moment of celebration. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I'm bringing it to you in prayer. We serve a massive God. So don't feel like you can't bring anything to him. Don't feel like there's something that's, that's so big that he can't deal with it. Our culture is suffering from crippling anxiety. Gen Z is the most anxious generation ever recorded. Now, I don't know how far that goes back to actually recording anxiety. But by far, Gen Z is, is incredibly anxious. And that's not just Gen Z. Millennials, Gen X, like across the board, are anxious. Our, our culture, our society is more anxious than it's ever been. 
I'm going to say something that that's gonna, may sound insensitive, but it's not. As believers, there is no reason for you to be consumed by anxiety. None. That doesn't mean that you don't experience stressful situations. That doesn't mean that you don't get anxious. But there is no reason for you to be consumed by anxiety. And the reason for that is because we serve a God who's bigger than anything that you're facing. Why do we get consumed by anxiety? It's because whatever we're facing seems bigger than us. Like, oh, I'm facing a deadline that I don't even, I don't think I can make it. Like, I don't think I can physically do whatever it takes to meet this deadline. And so we get stressed and we get anxious. God is bigger than your deadline. God is bigger than any ramifications there could possibly be for not making that deadline. So we might get stressed and we might get anxious, but we serve a God who's bigger than our circumstances, a God who's bigger than anything that comes against us. We can go before him in prayer. Like I'm anxious because of my family situation, or I'm anxious because of my, my marriage, and I'm anxious because of my, my, my kids, and I'm anxious because of, because of this circumstance, or my job, or this thing, or that thing. I'm anxious because of the markets, and my, my, you know, my house is losing value, or I'm anxious because of the, the interest rates rising. Like I'm anxious because of these things, because they're all bigger than me. They're probably bigger than you, but God is bigger than them. <laughs> and so you can go before the Lord in prayer. You can take it to him. Say, God, this is what I've got. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what's stressing me out and making me anxious. God, you are bigger than it. I give it over to you. God is big, so we can go before him in prayer. The second point that's related to that is the idea that God is near, so we should call upon him. God is big, so we can call upon him. God is near, so we should call upon him. Just because God is big doesn't mean that he's going to care about what we, what we care about. And just because God is bigger than our circumstances doesn't mean that we, we can naturally take it to him and that he's going to fix it, right? Like He doesn't have to care about those things. In fact, uh, the book of Job that we talked about last week, Job is accusing God of that, that he's, he's so big and so massive that he doesn't even care about us little people, right? And that, that's what Job uh, declares in the book of Job. And he, he's later proven wrong at the end of the book. But what we see at the end of Job is the same thing that we see here in the book of Psalms. It's that God is near, so we should call upon him. Not only is he this massive God who is all-powerful, who spoke the world into existence, he's a God who cares about you and is nearer than you could possibly know. Psalm 86, since we're already here, just a few verses before, right at the beginning of Psalm 86, verse 1. The psalmist is not having a good day. And he says in verse 1, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for, you, for to you do I cry all the day, gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And this is what the psalmist says, verse 5. For you, O Lord, are, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, and you answer me. So the psalmist is saying, I am going through it right now. 
I am going through it. I am suffering. I am struggling. God, and he's just venting to God. He's just voicing to God. God, I am in pain. I am in suffering. I need help. And he says, God, I call out to you, and I know you answer me. Because you are good. You are loving. That isn't just a God who's big. That's a God who's near. That's a God who cares about you. Who's there for you. Psalm 136 is a, is a beautiful psalm. There's, there's not really a psalm like it. Psalm 136, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. Over and over and over and over and over again, every other line says something about God, for his, for his steadfast love endures forever. Says something about God, for his steadfast love endures forever. Says something about what God does, for his steadfast love endures forever. Over and over and over again. That's not just a God who's powerful. That's a God who cares. A God whose love endures forever. A God whose love is so uh, enduring and so incredible that the psalmist can, can't help but sing it every other line. Like, this is what I see from God. His steadfast love endures forever. This is what I've seen him do. His steadfast love endures forever. Like, this is what I know about God for a fact, that he loves you, that he cares about you, that he is near to you. That's what the psalmist is proclaiming and screaming at us in Psalm 136. Turn back. Last one, Psalm 13. Psalm 13, beginning in verse 1, this is another psalm where the the psalmist David is having a horrible day. (laughs) And this is what he says in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So this is, this is David just, just lamenting. He's just crying out to God, expressing how he feels. Like, God, you don't care about me. You're hiding your face from me. Are you going to forget me forever? Verse 2, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O my Lord. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. And if the psalm ended there, that would be a a really depressing psalm where he just says, God, it seems like you've forgotten me. seems like you're far from me. And and you need to answer me because I'm going to die if you don't. But it doesn't end there. He tacks on at the end, verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The psalmist says, I don't feel it at the moment. I am low. I'm hurting. I am in pain and sadness. I don't, I don't feel it at the moment, but this is what I know. God, you are near. God, you love me, and you care for me. And so I'm going to bring this to you, and I know you're going to answer me because you have dealt bountifully with me. God is near, and so we should, we should call upon him. God cares about what you're going through, and so there's nothing that's so small or insignificant that he doesn't care about it. Take it to him. 
Go before the Lord in prayer in the low moments and the high moments. Go before the Lord. Bring it before him because he isn't this far distant deity who's sitting on a throne a million miles away and, and listening through the telephone. Like he is right there with you in the highs and the lows. He's right there with you in the good moments and the bad. He's there with you. Bring it before him in prayer. To know that the almighty creator of the universe is there for you and loves you and cares for you. Why would we not bring things before him in prayer? Oh, this seems really small. God's not going to care about this. God has already made very clear he's near. If we were saying that, this is what the psalmist says uh, that we read right at the beginning of Psalm 8. David says, how crazy is it? That you, God, would be mindful of us as human beings. You're this mighty, magnificent, awesome God. Why would you care about little people like us? So if we were playing that game, then everything in our life is too small to bring to God. But we know that nothing is too small to bring to him because God is near. He cares. He loves you. So bring him before him. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, uh, a pastor. He also travels and preaches a lot. And I asked him one day, I said, what's the hardest part about traveling and preaching? What's the, what's the part you like the least about it? Uh, and, and he has a wife, and he has uh, a couple kids, and so he told me that the worst part about traveling and preaching, he's gone a lot during the summer, the worst part is every time I'm on the road, uh, I am removed, I am far away from my wife and my kids, and so if there's an emergency, if there's ever anything that, that happens, I, I, like I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to drive as fast as I can, but I can't be there now. Like I can't be there to fix it. I can't be there to deal with it. How many of us view God as, as this deity who's far away, who's on, a, on, a, on another path, who's doing something else? And when we, bring, when we bring something before him in prayer, like he'll eventually get around to it, like it might be in his inbox, so he'll get around to it when he can. That's not God. God is right there, always. And he cares. And he loves. So bring it before him. God is big so we can call upon him, and God is near so we should. And the beautiful truth is that when we see God move, when we see him respond, when we see him do things in our lives, this is the third thing that we see in in the book of Psalms. God's responses drive us to worship. When we see God move and live and act in our lives, in our world, like it drives us and compels us to worship. Like, I was looking at, all right, what psalm should I use for this point? All of them. Pick a random psalm. Read the psalm. It's going to say something along the lines of praising God and worshiping him. This is the, the psalm that says that uh, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This is the idea that everything should worship and glorify him and praise him and lift him up. Every psalm is going to have reference to praising God, worshiping him, singing his praises, going before him in prayer and celebrating who he is, telling the world of how massive and awesome our God is. Like all of those things are worship in the book of Psalms, and we see them over and over and over again, 150 times in the book of Psalms. What God does in our lives and in our world compels us and drives us to worship him. Because everything that God does shows us a little more of who he is. When I go before the Lord in prayer and I see him respond to my prayer, it reminds me and reinforces to me that God cares, that he's near. When we pray as a church for God to do something massive and mighty in and through our church, it reminds us of the power of God to change hearts and minds. Everything that God does in our lives and in our world 
shows us more about his character, shows us more about who he is. And that should drive us to worship. That should compel us to, to drop to our knees and to lift up praise to him, to pray to him, to sing. That's why we sing on Sunday mornings. It's because we have been impacted by the work of God in our lives. We've been impacted by the gospel. We've been impacted by this wonderful, magnificent, mighty, big God who is near to us. We've been, we've been, been personally impacted by him, and so we sing in praise and glory and honor to his name. God's responses drive us to worship. And there's one response in particular that drives us to worship more than anything else because there's one response in particular, particular that shows us the character of God better than anything else in the world. And that is how God has dealt with sin and our separation from him. Psalm 22. There are a number of psalms in the, in the book of Psalms that are known as messianic psalms, meaning these are psalms that prophesy about Jesus ahead of time. Psalm 22 is probably the best known one of those. And this is a psalm that practically every verse in this psalm is quoted in the New Testament about Jesus uh, or uh, about circumstances surrounding him. And Psalm 22, verse 1, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the wounds of my groaning? This was known as a messianic psalm. And so when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's doing is he's pointing everybody who's listening and saying, I am the guy in Psalm 22. This is me. Read Psalm 22 and see that it's Jesus. Verse 2, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel and your and you, our fathers, trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them to you. They cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They trust. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust May trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help me. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like the ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. This is a, a clear depiction of the crucifixion. Jesus suffering and struggling on the cross. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. Again, clearly what happens to Jesus on the cross. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild ox. And this is over and over and over again what we see in Psalm 22 is this picture of Jesus dying on the cross for us. God knows that we've been separated from him by our sin. Now we fall short of his glory and we will spend forever separated from him in hell if we continue in our ways. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live a perfect life and to die as a sacrifice on the cross for our, on our behalf. And Jesus rose again from the grave three days later, 
defeating sin and death. And he's now ascended to the Father at his right hand, pleading on our, on our behalf to those who put their faith and hope in him. What we see in Psalm 22 is this, this picture of what Jesus would do on the cross, what God would do in the world is saving the world through Jesus. Nothing shows the character of God better than that. How about a God who's big? Is a God who is able to save the world and redeem the world. But a God who is near is a God who does it through Jesus, his son, a person who shows us his character and draws us in by his death and resurrection. Like that is a God who is big and a God who is near. That's a God who loves you and cares about you. How do you know that God loves you? Because Jesus went to the cross for you. We see God, his actions, his character, no better than in Jesus. And when we see God, God move, when we see God's responses, God's activity in the world, God's responses to our prayer, it drives us to worship. It compels us to praise him. That's why we sing. That's why we pray and we praise him for who he is. That's why we tell the world about God and who he is and the, what Jesus has done on the cross is because it's so amazing and so wonderful that it compels us to praise him. That's why we live lives that lift up the name of Jesus in the world because it compels us to lift up the name of Jesus in the world. We have seen and experienced something better than anything else. This is Matthew 13, that we have found the treasure hidden in the field that is better and greater than anything else we could ever possess. And so this guy in Matthew 13 sells everything that he owns, and he buys that field, and he clings to that treasure. We see the beauty and the wonder of the kingdom of God. We see the beauty and the wonder of who God is. We know this God who is big and who is near, and it drives us to worship him because he's greater than everything else we can, we can ever encounter. Church, we serve a God who's big. Anything that you're going through, whatever comes your way, whatever your emotions are like in the moment, we serve a God who's bigger than all of that, and you can take it before him in prayer. And not just is he big, he's also near. He cares about you. So not only can you take it to him, you should bring what's going on before him. And as you see God move in your life, as you see him move in our church, and as you reflect on what God has done in the world through the gospel, this beautiful story that we see written through scripture, as we reflect on what God has done, let it drive you to worship. Let it compel you to praise him. That should be the natural response. If you're not driven to worship God, if it isn't natural to you to lift up praises to him in song and prayer and in telling people about him if your drive of your life is not to lift up the name of god and the name of jesus in the world then it's probable that you haven't experienced the wondrous nature of god because as you experience how incredible god is that will drive you to worship that will drive you to lift up the name of god in the world that will drive you to sing with joy that'll drive you to come before him in prayer and celebrate his name so if you have come to know christ That'll drive you to worship. And if you aren't driven to worship, you probably haven't experienced the wonder of who God is. So this morning, if that's you, you're not driven to worship. You're not, you're not excited to lift up the name of God. You're not driven to sing joyously. You're not driven in prayer to lift up the name of God. Then let me tell you, God is probably bigger than you think he is. I know God is bigger than you think he is. And God is nearer to you than you know. And he has done a wonderful work in the world to bring about salvation for you in Jesus. And if you want to know God, if you want to know his, his greatness and his nearness to you, then place your faith in Jesus. 
In just a second, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And after I pray and while we sing, I'm going to be standing right here. If you want to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time, you want to experience the greatness and the nearness of God, what I want you to do is I'm going to be standing right here. I'd love for you to come up. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you after the service about what it means to follow God and to know Jesus. If you don't want to come up here, that's fine. Grab me after the service. I would love to talk with you more about what it means to know Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will raise our view of you. Whether this is our first time in a church building in a really long time, or we've been in church every Sunday for 50 years, God, I pray that you would raise our view of you. Because I know one thing for sure. You are bigger than we think you are. You are more powerful than we give you credit for. You are mightier and more massive than we could possibly imagine. And God, I pray that, that whatever we face in life, we would bring it to you because not only are you big and great and mighty, you are near. You love us. You care for us. And you freely offer mercy and forgiveness in Jesus. So God, I pray we would be people who, who, who bring prayers to you who call on you, who go before you. And God, I pray that as we become a people of prayer, as we operate through prayer and everything that we do, God, we would see you move and your responses and the gospel and your responses to our prayer would drive us more and more to worship you, to sing with excitement and joy and exuberance, knowing you have changed our lives and you are working in the world. God, to come before you in prayer with joy and excitement and to make your name known in the world because we can't help but talk about how great you are. God, we love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.